Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, IndyCar fans. This is Nathan Brown, your motorsports insider with the Indianapolis Star, here for this week's edition of IndyCar Weekly. We're back uh, with another race week on our hands. We've got three more to go to cap off this uh, 2021 IndyCar season that set some nice breaks in here, uh, but at the same time also feels like it has really flown by. Jack, you and I were just talking about... Um, how nice these couple weeks were to have off between the uh, final oval race of the year at Worldwide Technology Raceway uh, ahead of this back-to-back-to-back segment of races all on the West Coast. Um, nice chance to just kind of you know get a little bit, uh, one last breath of, of fresh air, spend a little bit of time around home while also kind of being in that uh, you know race mode for you, reporting mode for me. Um, but just have a nice chance to, you know, get, get your head right, uh, before we head over to the West coast for, uh, 17 or, or 18 days. How are you doing? I'm doing great, mate. Honestly, I think you summed it up really well. Um, you know, we, we love this time of year, you know, I, I'm in a nice way. I'm ready for summer to be done. You know, my, my skin is ready for summer to be done. Uh, you know, again, burnt every day is not, uh, not always high on my list, but, um, yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm just excited that we got these three races now back to back. You know, it's such a balance because you love having the break, you know, to get organized, have a breather, you know, that respark, and then, you know, let's just rattle these next ones out. And then, um, yeah, for me, you know, if anyone doesn't really know, like I love, you know, not in like a, uh, like in a weird way or anything, but you know, I love the NFL and, uh, you know, had our, had our draft uh, just over the weekend. Um, you know, feeling good about that. So. Yeah, I just love this time of year. I love that, you know, we get into race and, you know, finishing the season as strongly as we can, obviously. Uh, but then also with the the football season starting, it seems like our, you know, off weekends are keeping me busy because now, you know, at the expense, you know, my girlfriend's expense maybe a little bit, you know, my Thursday night's taken, a little bit of Saturday for some college, Sunday's NFL, you know, Monday night game. So, uh gonna have to make sure i do my dues you know tuesday wednesday and friday and saturday nights for sure because uh we're definitely spending a decent amount of time on the sofa watching a football game so it's uh it's just a great time of year you are absolutely right with that um I- i'm always curious um you know as someone who didn't necessarily grow up in the united states but has certainly spent a good chunk of your life over here during the um, you know last couple chapters of your racing career, how did you get into uh, NFL football? And really, more importantly, um, you know why? How and why have you fallen in love with fantasy football? Oh, uh, I mean, it was kind of easy, really. I mean, you know, this time of year, you know, once the season kind of—I mean, honestly, I still feel like we're, we're in like max effort 
you know, on the season. Like, I certainly don't feel like the racing has slowed down. You know, but once the racing does slow down and, you know, we get into that off-season mode, uh, you know, people talk about football, you know, whether it's college, you know, whether it's the NFL, even high school, you know. I mean, I feel like Carmel have got a really good team. Uh, right. you know, I think Westfield have had a, you know, really strong, uh, you know, team and program here recently too. Uh, you know, so you kind of can't, not the mean way, you kind of can't escape it. You know, even if you wanted to, you kind of can't. You know, in the first, uh, you know, my first season in America racing was 2014. And, you know, I kind of was more still into soccer then. And, you know, I traveled, you know, a bit more, not back and forth. I certainly spent more time in America. But, you know, in the off season, I traveled, you know, kind of split my time a bit more evenly between the UK. And then in 2015, just made the decision that I was going to just be completely in America, like all year round, you know, minus uh, Christmas and whatnot. And then that was when I really started to embrace, you know, American culture and, you know, American sports and things like that. And uh, I just honestly started playing fantasy football because someone said, hey, if you want to learn this game, you know, maybe just play it, just understand it a bit. It's meant to be a good time with some friends, you know, et cetera. And, you know, I'm a Colts fan, you know, and I try and go to, I mean, this year I was looking at the schedule. I mean, I'm probably going to get to, you know, half of the home games that they have, um, you know, and just, it was it's a classic case of when when I learned a little, I wanted to learn a lot. And, mm-hmm. you know, because of because of soccer, because of playing rugby when I was younger, you know, a lot of you know, the plays and the rules and things like that just kind of made sense to me. Like and the account of that baseball doesn't make sense to me. I don't see the strategy, I don't know what I'm looking at and it's you know, not my cup of tea, really. Football's like the complete other way, you know. So I just started by, honestly, I started because I wanted to contribute to, like, conversation and, you know, banter, obviously, with the lads. And I started going to Colts games. And then, honestly, like, I was just hooked. You know, I, I try and go to as many Colts games as I can. You know, I'll I'll, I'll travel, you know, if they're close. I've been to a, a few Colts games that have been local. I mean, I've gone to London now to watch the NFL with some friends who are Bengals fans. So we all went out there when they played the Rams a few years ago. Um, you know, and I sure I just really enjoy it, you know, and I love I love playing fantasy. I'd never I, I rarely draft Colts players in when I'm playing fantasy, not because I'm not trusting in them, but just so I can go and enjoy the game. Mm. Uh because I remember a few years ago it was when uh, it was when Frank Gore was on the team and I, I remember I had uh you know, Frank is one of my running backs, I had Minotaur as my kicker, and the guy playing against me that week had T Y. And I remember uh, just being like so in my own head, like, yeah, I want the Colts to score, but I want Frank to run it in. And if Frank can't do it, I want Vin to kick a field goal. And man, it was this whole like orchestration of events that I needed to like work out well for me to try and win my fantasy week. And I just made a decision like after that, like I'm not going to draft any Colts players so I can just go and enjoy the game and just like, you know, give it my all as a fan. Um, and, I, you know, I, I like playing Madden, too. So I try and tell people, like, it's not it's not fake, you know, it's not a front or anything like that. Like, you know, I go down to South Bend, you know, a couple of times a year to watch the Irish and stuff. And, um, yeah, I just I just, just really found a love of American football. That's fun. You know, I, I will agree with you, I think, for the most part on that point about, you know, not wanting to draft someone who uh you you know have on your team my um preferred 
uh, NFL team, ride or die, grown up with them uh, ever since I can remember, for better or worse, uh, has been the Miami Dolphins. My dad um, grew up a big uh, Bob Greasy fan uh, who was a quarterback at Purdue back in, I think, either the late 60s or early 70s. Uh, and he went to play for the Dolphins after that. And at that point, the Colts um, were not in Indianapolis, so he didn't have a team to root for and just kind of latched on to them. Um, they had, a, obviously, a great run there in the 70s and 80s, uh, and it just kind of stuck when I was born. The, uh, the Colts and the Dolphins actually played in uh, the same division there for probably about the first decade or so of my life, which made for... Um, some fun matchups growing up, um, getting to uh, wear a Dolphins jersey on Fridays at school and, and tick off uh, friends and teachers and, and whatnot. But um, I, my my mode, I'd say, if I do draft anyone from them, it's typically like you know maybe a wide receiver. So like maybe they're you know in recent years before he was traded, maybe like a Jarvis Landry or uh, this year now Devontae Parker. You know the number one guy. Uh, because it's, I think it's tougher with running backs. Like you can get down like right to the goal line and then there's more options where you can have like, uh, you know, the quarterback sneak it in or some teams like bring in the fullback or, you know, a running back that doesn't necessarily start, but is better. Um, you know, just like pounding the ball in there on the goal line. And I've found it's, it's more frustrating to have a, a running back from your team. Kind of like you were talking about with, with Frank Gore, um, so I guess uh, I'm like, I've got two Dolphins players this year. Okay. William Fuller is on my bench. Obviously, I know he's suspended, but he's on my bench to uh, to plug in after and waddle. So I guess you think Devontae Park is the number one there. Uh he's it's a it's more borderline certainly. I think Waddle could have a really great year. Um, I mean Parker's you know he's the veteran. Um, and when he's when he has been able to stay healthy, he's um, you know been pretty solid. I mean, his question, as with so many of those guys, is just being able to stay healthy and stay out there on the field. Um, he cool. really did seem like a security blanket in lots of ways. He's kind of like a go-to guy when they had Ryan Fitzpatrick last year. Obviously, he's uh, now oh, on it's magic. Instance. Yeah, so I like that guy. Um, I'm a little, I don't know. He's, I mean, he's certainly not my starting wide receiver. I, uh, I took, well, let's take a look here. I took Keenan Allen uh, as my first wide out. I've got Keenan Allen, Amari Cooper, uh, my two wide outs, Dalvin Cook, Clyde Edwards, Hilaire at running back. Uh, and then Aaron Rodgers starting quarterback. Um, hey, we got the same QB. Yeah, there we go. You, well, you were, we were just talking about before we started taping, uh, we both ended up with the second overall pick in our drafts. Uh, and we, uh, I took Dallin Cook. You said you took Derek Henry. Um, tell me yeah. who some of the other guys you guys have uh, before we get into some racing stuff here. Oh, yeah, I forgot it's a racing podcast. Uh, <laughs> we need to do a fantasy football podcast at this point. That would be fun. Um, I uh, I ended up taking uh, yeah Derek Henry as my first pick um, and then following that I ended up with AJ Brown I ended up with um, uh, let me pull it up this will be easier uh, Joe Mixon 
Cooper Cup. I got William Fuller on the bench. So I think as soon as he's back from suspension, that he might be, you know, pretty good there. Um, mm-hmm. I got Tunyon and then uh, Rogers as my QB. So I've had to tell a few people like I'm, I'm, I'm certainly, I'm not like a I'm, a, I'm a Colts fan, right? So I don't really cheer. I definitely won't cheer for anyone else in their division, you know, minus them. But uh, if you look at my team, it's a little Titans, Titans heavy. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's uh, it's funny. Like I I just love you know I love playing you know the fantasy football and you know doing it with my friends. We're in a we're in a twelve man league, so that makes it kind of uh, kind of tricky. My trainer Jeff actually looks like he maybe had the best draft, which I don't know if I would tell him that to his face, but maybe on the podcast <laughs> it's okay to okay to share. But uh, ultimately, one of the things I really like about it is just an excuse to get together with your friends. You know, if nothing else, like whether it's for the draft, you know, whether we were talking about maybe like getting dinner, you know, on Sunday a couple of times, like while the games are on, actually going to Colts games and things like that. And I don't know, like it's kind of cheesy and cliche, but like that's that's the fun of of playing, right, is being able to, uh, you know, do that with friends and, you know, try and have a good time with everyone, really. I agree. I think. The one thing that, I mean, you touched on it, I think, a little bit uh, ago. One thing I really like about fantasy football, and then part of the reason why I don't necessarily like, you know, just like loading up on guys that are on your favorite team uh, necessarily is because I think it it makes a lot of those other games that you wouldn't have necessarily tuned into otherwise throughout the day, uh, like, really interesting. Uh, like, like, you have something that you, like you have a, a vested interest, I guess, in tuning into, you know, uh, like, I mean, for me, example, you know, uh, a random, like, Vikings-Bears game that I wouldn't have other yeah. tuned in to, you know, maybe in, on a, a Saturday, maybe I'm sure they'll, yeah. a Saturday 1 p.m. game a handful of times this year. It's a game that you wouldn't necessarily tune into unless you're, say, like, watching the NFL Red Zone channel uh, that's just, like, going through. Uh, but it gives you reason, you know, to flip over to... Uh, to a couple games that either in the the early slot or a lot of times those uh, you know as as a as a Dolphins fan for instance they're not often playing in that four o'clock or four twenty five slot and so uh, a lot of times you know if you have some of those guys either in the AFC or NFC West gives you um, you know a reason lots of times to watch those games later in the afternoon. Uh, when you've already watched a, a handful of games. So it's fun. Before we get into racing, how did you become, I mean, obviously the, the Colts fandom is, is pretty obvious. How did you uh, latch on to the Fighting Irish as your college team uh, of choice? Uh, a little bit my heritage, you know, growing up sure. and whatnot. And, you know, my, my mom, that. Um, you know, comes from, is my mom's actually from Scotland. Uh, okay. They come from a, you know, strong Catholic, Irish descent background. And um, yeah, honestly, it's just a team that I would have, you know, from a heritage stance would, would cheer for. And then uh, actually had some, you know, friends as well. They're also, uh, you know, like my American family, uh, the Kennedy Fairchild and the bowling clan. I mean, they're big Irish fans. And I'm not sure if they knew that I really cheered for the Irish because, you know, we were kind of just getting to know each other. And I just went to one of the games and I saw them there and, and they're like, wait, what, what are you doing here? Like, oh, I just kind of, I just like them. And they were like, oh, that's our team too. So then, you know, I really became a fan because I, you know, started to know more and more people who, uh, you know, also were, uh, you know, were fans and enjoyed football. And so I go to a lot of games now uh, with them. So, 
you know, in, in truth, I will cheer for anybody local, uh, you know, and I, I so love living in Indiana and, you know, the way that people have embraced me here and you know, the way they love racing, but also the way they just love sports. Um, you know, I, I can get behind that and, you know, certainly would love to see, you know, IU, Purdue, uh, you know, the Irish all have, you know, a good season. Um, I didn't think, I didn't think the Irish looked great at the weekend, but, um, you know, kind of get that first, first game jitters out of the way, get a W mm-hmm. on the board and, you know, let's have it. Uh, have you been to, you mentioned, uh, Carmel and Westfield, um, high school football programs. I am a, uh, Noblesville Miller myself. Uh, they in the same, uh, Hamilton County group. They play, uh, Carmel and Westfield, uh, every year. Have you been to a, uh, high school football game since you've been living here in Indiana? I have. Uh, okay. I went to a couple of, uh, one of my really good friends, his son, uh, plays for uh, Westfield. So, okay. um, a couple of times when they played, uh, well, I can't remember if it was two last season or maybe just across the last two years. I've I've been to the Carmel Westfield games, uh, mm. you know, and I just like it. It's cold, you know, like <laughs> and the bleachers can get pretty cold at a high school game, uh, just because it always seems like you know when I got you know time to go and stuff like that. I mean, it's uh, it's just a lot of fun, and honestly, I guess this is really cheesy, and I hope that people don't judge me on this, but. One of the shows I liked to watch and, you know, did watch was Friday Night Lights. Oh, my you know, gosh. It's a great love show. show. Love that yes. show. Then, you know, I, I was quite a big NFL fan by the time I'd really started watching the show, you know, and certainly got into college. I was like, oh, I want to go check out, like, this high school, you know, kind of games. And, uh, yeah, just had a really good time, really enjoyed it. And was like, oh, this is pretty, pretty sweet. So um, I don't go to a ton of high school games. Uh, mostly because I kind of feel like a creeper, you know, when I go, because unless I go with like my buddy, you know, when he's cheering for like his son or something like that, like, I mean, you know, kind of need someone like who, you know, to like cheer for, otherwise it kind of feels weird. Um, you know, but certainly enjoy, you know, all, all realms and all avenues of football. I actually wanted to play in a flag football league, uh, but I've got the strong sense that that uh, was not going to fly with uh, anybody. So, uh, I didn't. Uh, I didn't get too super far down that path before they, you know, shot that one down a bit. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's 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 a good time, mate. I mean, I really, I really do enjoy this time of year, and um, yeah, just happy to uh, obviously want to finish the season strong. Uh, you know, there's no doubt about that. You know, also we've been working, you know, extremely hard to do, uh, you know, as a team, but. Um, yeah, I, I'm excited to do uh, to do both at this point. All right, well, let's get into a little bit of racing. It's been uh, a couple weeks since we recorded. Uh, we've had one IndyCar race go from the green to the checkered flag at Worldwide Technology Raceway. Uh, that race capped uh, another back-to-back-to-back stretch that we had in August. You uh, recorded another solid finish uh, a, a second straight top 10 finished 10th there 
on the short oval track just outside of St. Louis. Uh, I know it's been a little bit of time now, but maybe kind of take us through kind of what you remember about your personal race. And then we can, you know, dive into uh, a couple of the main takeaways that we take from that race from a, a big season wide standpoint as we head now to the West Coast. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I thought we had a you know pretty good race brewing. Um, we didn't unload, you know, into practice one uh, as well as I thought we were going to. Uh, you know, certainly last year I thought we had a you know really strong car there, and um, you know that was probably one of the we chose to test in Portland. Uh, you know, where a lot of the, a lot of guys went to um, Gateway, and um, yeah, honestly, we just we didn't we didn't start the weekend great, and um, you know, people need to remember on a single a single day event, you know, by the time you've, you know, done qualifying, uh, you know, done practice, you're almost like turning the car around straight away to get into the qualifying line. Um, you know, so we qualified. Okay. Not certainly not great. Definitely not what we went there to expect uh, and hope for. And, you know, in the race, we were having a pretty, pretty solid race. I had a great start. I managed to gain a few positions there. And honestly, it was just for the first part of the race was very much just about staying out of trouble. You know, it seemed yes. like everybody else was, uh, you know, keen on, um, you know, having a pretty lively day, which is, uh, you know, completely fine for them. Uh, you know, but at this point, we we just want to, you know, keep getting points on the board and, you know, finish the season as strongly as possible. And, um, you know, I think we understood that we didn't have the fastest car that weekend. Um, you know, but I thought we executed our actual race very well. And, um, yeah, I mean, ultimately, that the last yellow flag, that happened the last caution with Alexander's uh, crash kind of kind of killed the last part of our race. You know, I thought we were going to finish, um, you know, maybe seventh and up um, just because we, we felt like, and, you know, if, if, if anyone knows or seen anything different, they could, they could share that info with us. But, um, you know, we, we felt like Takuma, Sebastian and uh, Ryan Hunter Ray, had to stop again with fuel and you know we, we were good to the end so i think it could have been a little better um you know but on the whole it was a one of them weekends where you walked out you know you walked away not not very happy with the lack of pace that we had but ultimately we executed a you know a fine weekend we walked out of another top 10 um and it just gives us the momentum because that's the thing that we haven't had this year we've had momentum we've had potential without the end result now we're getting back into that rhythm of having the speed, having momentum and getting the result. And that's the, that's the biggest thing that we, we can do. It's the number one thing we talk about as a team at the minute. You know, I think this year on the whole, you've certainly seen us roll the dice uh, on strategy, you know, more than one time and it, you know, not panned out the way uh, obviously we, we hoped it would have. Um, and it's such a balance, right? Because you want to be aggressive and, you know, do the big strategy calls so that, you know, hopefully there are, it swings your way and in your favor. And then sometimes it's just important to put points on the board. Let's have some good finishes because the good finishes is also what generates, you know, positive atmosphere within the team. And that's really important as well. So, um, yeah, you know, I think, I think Gateway was, uh, was an, it was an okay weekend, nothing to, you know, super jump up and down and write home about, but, you know, it was a momentum builder and, uh, you know, at this stage of the year, you'll take it. 
I mean, with <laughs> with uh, as many cars as we saw bow out of that race, it was a 24-car grid, and we had, I, I think, maybe nine cars fail to, to finish the race for one reason or another. You know, we had anything from uh, a mechanical issue on Colton Herta's car to, uh, you know, a handful of, of one-car accidents that we saw with, uh, I think, Ed Carpenter and, and Alexander Rossi. You had some some pretty other big multi-car incidents, uh, the first one mm. being uh, Graham Rahal and Ed Jones there on, I think, lap two, if I remember right. And then, of course, the, the three-car one that everyone was talking about after the race between uh, Renus, Scott Dixon, and uh, Alex Pillow, the latter two, of course, being championship contenders who uh, certainly mm. didn't have their chances um, ended by any means, but it's it's at least more difficult uh, of a of a pursuit for them into these final three than it might otherwise have been. Alex gave up the championship lead to Pato Award. He now sits ten points back in second place, headed to Portland. Scott uh, a bit further back now, forty three behind Pato um, in fourth place with three races to go, something certainly not insurmountable from his standpoint, but um, not what you want when you've got uh, three races left to go and you've got five drivers all now within uh, 60 points of the series championship. What what do you make of, uh, I mean, we've, it seems like we've been talking about it all season long, but to to actually get to this point in the season and now have, five guys that I think we can all call tighter title contenders to some extent um, with three races left to go, 60 points separating all of them. What do you make of the, the chase that we've got on our hands here uh, over the next couple weeks? I think it shows the strength of, you know, IndyCar race and how competitive it is, how good all the drivers are, how good the teams have done this year. And honestly, just the level that you need to be to try and mount a championship, uh, winning season really and you know to go back and to watch the race um you know the number one the number one thing i can tell you is that you know watching watching renus and whatnot like of course if there's an opportunity to get a win uh you know even if it's an aggressive move like we're going to take it you know there's of that there's, there's zero doubt uh what i don't want to get involved in, in the next few weekends is anything that might swing the championship uh, situation without, you know, in, in, a, in a very negative way, um, mm -hmm. you know, and no one goes, you know, just to clarify, like no one goes into a race, no driver goes into a race wanting that to happen. Uh, you know, Renus wouldn't have wanted that to happen. I feel like it's important that people like know that, um, you know, so we want to go and get the best results we can, focus on ourselves. If we can make some good moves happen, we're going to, you know, even if they are bold and aggressive, but, you know, certainly don't want to have any, you know, incidents with any of the guys pushing to win, uh, you know, the championship or anything like that. You know, sadly, we're not in, in that situation this year, but, you know, maybe next year we will be, and, you know, we hope we will be, you know, more than one time in my career. And, um, yeah, I think the fact that there's so many, you know, good drivers going into this last three-week swing, um, with the ability to to, to win, um, I think is awesome. You know, I think that's exactly what the series wants to see. I think that's what we want to see as fans too. Is you know a really competitive year, and you know you hope that 
the people who, I mean, everyone deserves it really because they've all had, you know, great seasons. Just want it to be a as smooth a uh, a three weekends as possible for everybody, and that the racing is just settled mostly on track in a fair way. I guess is my uh, my my big two or my big ticket item really. Mm-hmm. I don't. Even, I mean, from talking to him after the incident, certainly it was it was something that happened so early in the race. And there, you know, we still had so much racing to go. We had just under, I think, two hundred laps before um, that incident happened with those three cars. Uh, you know, it's it's not necessarily a move that uh, you know Renus was necessarily making to quote unquote go for a win. And I and I don't even get a sense, at least initially talking to him after. He got out of the car and got cleared from the um, the medical center. If he felt like he was entirely at fault, I think he, I mean, it was pretty obvious that his car was the, um, I'm, thinking, I'm trying to think of the, the proper way to put this, his car, whether he made a move uh, that he shouldn't have or made a move in response to things that was, things that were going on ahead of him, his car was the first one that made contact um, with uh, with Pelot that I think led into Dixon, if I'm remembering it correctly. But when you are, regardless of, of who is at fault in that incident, when you are a driver who is outside of championship contention, you know, going into these final couple races, do you know, do you kind of have a list of drivers that you know, you know, these five guys are in the championship I can maybe race them a little bit either harder or more aggressively because they really have to be, you know, just one ounce extra careful to take care of their car so that they don't end up in something like what we saw there on Saturday night uh, at Worldwide Technology Raceway. Uh, I think I have a nice way to answer that. No, I mean, ultimately, you know, like I said, I, you know, I don't want to have any goofy moments, you know, or crashes with, with that. Well, I don't want to have crashes with anyone in general, really, but I mean, inevitably it happens sometimes. And, you know, that's part of racing. Um, you know, and certainly I don't look at the guys and they're trying to win the championship and go, oh, I can race them extra hard because they've got so much to lose. And, and I don't, ultimately, I just see it as another, another weekend that we want to go and, you know, as a driver and as a team, just want to go and get the, the best, results that that we can um but to say that we're not aware of it is also not accurate and in that moment they do have a little bit more to lose and risk than than we do so we don't want to do anything goofy we just want to honestly continue with this path that we have been on this year and you know i think we've we've moved forward on nearly every single start this year whether it's a position or whether it's more um you know i think we've had a nice level of aggression uh you know i feel like we've raise people fairly and make them hard. And, uh, you know, that's how I just want to carry on, you know, for the rest of this season. Um, you know, I don't, I don't feel a strong need to want, uh, you know, to make a big change or suddenly start driving erratically or anything like that. I mean, you know, I, I saw the move that, uh, that Rena's tried and, um, you know, there's a lot of variables obviously in something like that. And, you know, I, I wouldn't want to say like, Oh, you know, it's definitely, at fault and he shouldn't have done that like no i mean this is this is racing and you know the way that the cars are right now and honestly gateway is a track too it's not easy to overtake and in them opportunities you know he's on the track fighting for 
something uh, as much as what the other guys are. So that's what I mean. I think it's a fine line, you know, to be trying to be had. Obviously, we don't want to get involved, um, you know, in jeopardizing the championship fight. We want that to be settled on track. But honestly, above that, we just want to go and have the smooth weekend and honestly be ahead of all of it. You know, we just want to try and the goal for us to go to Portland is go to Portland, try and qualify on pole, try and win the race and hope that we're not even involved in any scuffles with, with anybody because we're certainly going to hold our own and try and carry on on this, uh, you know, great approach that we've had this year. And, um, you know, I'll be, I'll be as excited as anybody else to see who the, the champion is of this, uh, of this season. So I know, I mean, certainly from talking to the two guys that have held the lead for, I think, every race since the 500, if I'm remembering right, between talking to Pato and talking to Alex Pillow, you know, both of them have said as guys who have never won championships before um, and really never been in a championship hunt in IndyCar late and, you know, this late in the season, obviously Pato finished in the top four, um, but even he was a ways behind Dixon, as as really pretty much the whole series was maybe beyond uh, Joseph. Uh, once we got to St. Pete uh, last year for the season finale, but mm. both of them have said that they would rather be leading the championship at this point, and, you know, and having two veterans like uh, a Joseph Newgarden and a Scott Dixon who combined have won eight championships between them and each of the last four, you know, they'd, they'd rather be in a spot of, of leading rather than um, driving from behind and any sort of a different mindset that would come with that. I know you haven't necessarily been in that position yet in your career in IndyCar, but um do you feel like that that makes sense or something that you would feel similarly if you were in their shoes um, either now or say even in a, a year or a couple years, say if you're fighting for your first IndyCar championship? I know you're, you've got a, a good amount more experience in the series and you're a good amount older than both of those guys are, but maybe just kind of take me through what you would imagine that mindset might be like. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're right. I haven't been in that situation in IndyCar yet, but I have won championships from go-kart into, you know, mm -hmm. Formula 3 and things like that. So, I mean, you I, always, I just always wanted to... Lights those two years? I know you finished second. Yeah. Both. Yeah, you know, and I think uh, one of them we were behind going into the final race and one of them we were ahead. Um, okay. You know, I, I definitely preferred it when we were the ones ahead. Um you know, because in that moment, people are like, oh, you've got more to lose. You haven't got as much to lose. I mean, the reality is everyone's got a lot to lose. And mm -hmm. I think to go there and to be in the lead, you know, is really a great, uh, a great position for them to be in. Because although people are like, oh, you know, it's nice to have something to like chase and work hard for. I mean, this is the top level. You know, these guys are so good and, you know, are working so hard all the time that, I mean, they don't, they don't need the, uh, you know, the extra rabbit, as it were, to try and chase to get a good result. I mean, they're pretty much going for it all the time. And if you're leading, you probably have some buffer, you know, to have a, not obviously you want to have, a, you always want to have good races, but, you know, mm -hmm. ultimately, if something doesn't go, go well, um, 
you know, it's nice to go in there going, well, you know, we do have a little buffer, but obviously we need to give it 110. And, you know, I, I've always got the sense from, you know, watching Scott for so many years and watching Formula One and even being in, in some of the uh, battles that we have been in as well. Um, the, the mindset and effort level at this time of the year is just, it's maximum effort 100% of the time. You know, there's certainly, there is never a moment where you're like, oh, I could probably, you know, take my foot off the gas now or something like that. I've, I've never seen that work well for anybody. Um, you know, and, and knowing the guys and, uh, you know, it's funny because, I mean, we definitely had done, you know, two partial seasons, you know, but last year when Alex was, you know, in his first full-time IndyCar drive, you know, it was also the, you know, first time that we were doing IndyCar for the first time as well. So I certainly don't feel like I'm that far ahead, um, you know, of, of either of them from like full-time drives sure. and whatnot. But uh, yeah, I mean, you obviously know already that, you know, Pato's going to give it 110 because that's his style. Uh, right now, you've got a couple of guys in Alex Ballou and Joseph who are going to give it 110 because they're trying to claw back some points. Um, and then really, you know, you've got you've got the Iceman. I mean, you just can't never write, write this guy off. You just never know like what's gonna what's gonna happen. And um, I think it's uh, you know, I mean, clearly right now that you know the four best guys on this season are fighting for the are fighting for the championship, and one of them is going to probably be the greatest ever. And you know, I think Joseph's the driver of the most wins in a certain recent period of time, and you know, he's already a two-time champion and going to be a Hall of Famer. There's, there's no doubt about it. So uh, it's incredible company. It's testament to the drivers and teams, you know, on how well, you know, they have done, you know, this season. And um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm as excited as anybody else to see, to see how that goes. And honestly, to observe the mindset of each team, uh, you know, and driver combo and see which one goes well. If there's anything obvious that we can learn, you know, to hopefully be prepared in the future that we can be in that position as well. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll drop a couple nuggets here. I'm actually doing research currently for uh, a story, uh, just kind of looking at the history of the last 20 years or so in IndyCar as far as title uh, races go down the stretch, a story that will, uh, I believe, be on IndyStar.com here on Thursday. We're taping here on Wednesday afternoon. There have been, let's see here, one, two, three, four, five, six. Uh, there have been six instances over the last 20 years where we have had a, a first and second place in the championship with either three races to go or two races to go when one of them is a double points finale where first and second place have been decided or have been separated by uh, 10 points or less as we have right now between Pato and Alex Polo. Only two of those times the leader at that mark with three races to go or at least three races worth of points left has actually gone on to win the championship last year, that year. It was a little surprising to me um, actually in a way um at the same time uh 13 times in the last 20 years we've had the guy who has won at this point or, or the guy who was leading at this point has gone on to win the championship so uh we've actually got a pretty good streak of that i believe every championship since 2016 the guy that's been leading at this point has gone on to hoist the aster cup at the finale 
Um, so just some interesting trends there to look like. Really, for the most part, uh, when you go back and talk about guys that have come from behind and won a championship, uh, Scott has actually done it uh, once before from fourth place with three races to go. He won uh, when he was 42 points back, back in 2003, his first championship um, and has done it uh, two other times, both in 2013 and 2015. So um, I'll dive into that stuff a little bit deeper into a piece, but just some stuff I wanted to toss out there from some research I'd been doing. Um, not necessarily that uh, you know history is going to decide who wins this championship, but I think it's always really interesting to go back and just see how some of this stuff that is in a little bit of a similar place has played out over the the last couple decades in this series. I think it's really interesting like that, and I think it's just it it just drives that euphoria and the gravitas of you want to keep watching because you don't know what's going to happen, you know. Mm-hmm. And you've seen all sorts of scenarios, you know, where people have come back and, and mounted what seems like an insurmountable effort, and. Oh, like I just think it's it's really exciting that there's so many drivers fighting for the championship because and if it stays that way heading into the season finale, there's going to be so many different scenarios and sets of parameters that will decide the winner. And if it's this guy, this is like who what needs to happen, and probably a little complicated, you know, for a lot of us to try and follow. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said. That's what we love about this sport. And it's that you're going to go into the final, unless something, you know, happens in the next two weekends that just makes it like a clear cut, you know, kind of situation, which frankly, I don't think IndyCar racing has been clear cut for a long time uh, in terms of the competitiveness and what's going to happen and things like that. But I definitely would encourage people to, to not be missing what is coming up and if, if you're like, oh, he's for sure going to do that. Well, the only thing I know for sure is that nothing is predictable in IndyCar racing. 100%. We've got three races left to go in this season. Uh, all three start at 3 p.m. Eastern time here uh, in Indiana, noon local Pacific time in Oregon and California. Uh, these next two at Portland and Laguna Seca. Uh, I believe are shown on NBC uh, with the season finale on NBC Sports there on September 26th from the streets of Long Beach. Before we go here real quick, Jack, just kind of give us uh, maybe your quick elevator pitch on what folks can look out for in terms of this uh, Portland International Raceway course and this race maybe from a bigger standpoint uh that we have not seen since 2019 i know it's a track that you've raced at twice in your indycar career what what are some of the maybe the the overarching takeaways uh that you guys have been looking at and preparing for as you get ready to head to portland here in a couple days it's going to be an incredibly quick saturday you know from from practice to qualifying to like warm up uh, you know, it's very, very high tempo day, uh, you know, pretty limited practice time, which, you know, we're feeling good about the fact that we tested there, you know, a couple of weeks ago or a month ago, I guess now or so. And um, 
I think it's going to be it's a short uh, track, and I think what's going to happen is that the qualifying is going to be incredibly close. You know, I think qualifying is going to be separated by the same margins that uh, the, the GP in August was separated by. I think hundredths of a second are going to be incredibly important, and I think the pressure then is obviously on for the drivers, the teams, to put their best foot forward, and every one hundredth of a second is going to be really, really important. And I think, you know, you look back at Indy GP and, you know, I think a half a tenth, you know, had the potential to take you from fourth to pole. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to see that again. So the race is a little longer than, you know, than the last time we were there. So maybe that changes, you know, strategy a little bit too. Uh, you know, we just heard from Firestone, the tyres are different from the last time we raced there. So you go into a place, I think people know now uh, you know and have some experience at now but with a decent amount of variables that are going to make it interesting but uh, i think the biggest thing that we've been talking about as a team you know from my meetings with the engineer and the team on a global scale is uh execution like we really have to execute really really well our own individual jobs because it's going to be so incredibly close come qualifying every tiny detail is going to be is going to be uh, really important. So uh, obviously very excited about it. Qualifying has been good for us this year. Uh, you know, we want to obviously keep that going and we work hard to try and keep it going. Um, outside of that, I think Portland's a great track. You know, it really is. It's got some real technical parts. It's got some super fast, high speed, high risk corners. Um, you know, I just want to see, I just want to see us as far up the grid as possible. And, uh, you know, kind of, Getting to that part of the year where it's going to be a little sad as well. Obviously, the, this West Coast swings going to be the last three races that I do with, you know, Maya Shank Racing, and uh, you know, want to go out on as big a high as uh, as we possibly can before we start the next chapter. You're right about that. Well, let's. You, you mentioned the quick Saturday. I'll read off uh, the the times for folks real quick. Will be a very early start for those of us out there on the West Coast. You've got uh, practice at noon from noon to 1.15 Eastern time on Saturday, leading into qualifying from 3.15 to uh, 4.30. Again, these are all Eastern times with a final warm-up practice from 6.15 to 6.45. And then you've got uh, a race with a green flag right around 3.30, and that'll take us uh, till probably just before 6 eastern time of course that's a uh, 12 30 to 2 45 pacific again that race is on nbc you can watch um all of the action there uh i will certainly be out there covering the race as always for indiestar.com we'll have lots of pre-race coverage over the next couple days online in the newspaper um certainly on twitter be sure to give us a follow and a shout there if you've got any questions. Thanks again, as always, Jack, for uh, for joining us this week. Make sure you get your uh, fantasy football lineup before you head to Portland there on Friday, and we'll see you out there. Hmm. Sounds great. Thanks, mate. Awesome. Uh, for all you listeners, thanks again for joining us for this week's edition of IndyCar Weekly. <laughs>